So, John, you ran a marathon, didn't you? Or two? Yes. Please don't remind me. Raising bilingual children can be a challenge. That's why we have serial dates, where we discuss our experiences and grow as a bilingual family. Let's get cereal, cereal. I wanna get cereal. Let's get cereal. <laughs> no. Welcome back to Cereal Dates, everybody. Hola. <laughs> <laughs> we are so glad we get to have you guys here with us on another episode of Cereal Dates with your host Daniela Perieda and John Perieda. <laughs> Anyways, we are happy to be here with you guys. Uh, today, we are starting a series, yes. a four-part series. And this is for those that of you that are out there looking to start your bilingual journey today or yesterday or last week or here in the near future. But the point is, we want to provide some insight on the journey itself so that way you can feel confident with your first few steps in that direction. Absolutely. So earlier in the episode, I talked about you writing a marathon. Correct. So I think it's important to see language learning as a marathon rather than a sprint. Right. And I think that's why most of us see learning a second language as such a difficult thing. Or intimidating. Intimidating because it takes a, it takes a long time. Yes, and I, and I think naturally people want to become good at something very quick. And as adults and adult learners, we have you know the brain capacity, the cognitive ability to take language in and just be like, okay, I understand it. But to actually you know apply it mm-hmm. is a whole other deal. And well, and I also think that wanting to speak fast or learning Spanish quickly or whatever it is, we now live in an era where we want everything tomorrow. Right. It's like instant gratification. Prime, uh, Amazon Prime, you know. Right. Two days. Two days. And you're like, anything that you order outside of Amazon, you're like, why is it taking so long? Right. Why is it not here yet? So so back to the marathon thing. The Mm -hmm. reason we bring the marathon story up is because, you know, how, how how does one finish a marathon race? Many people do marathons for many different reasons. Um, but it seems like the vast majority are not necessarily racing mm-hmm. right, to be number one. A lot of them are Just racing themselves. Finish. Right. But there's also a large group that take on the challenge just to finish, to say, mm-hmm. I did that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the mentality behind your bilingual language journey. You know, you're starting, but your goal is to ultimately finish. Now, with a marathon, you don't go all the way to the end, full force sprinting. I mean, especially if you don't have any formal training or in this case, formal education in the sense that you grew up with the language. Mm-hmm. If you're starting fresh, you know, you got to train or practice or in over time learn. Right. A, a marathon takes time. And the minute that the uh, race gun goes off or the buzzer or whatever marathon I'm usually way in the back, so I don't hear it. I just start following people as they go. Um, <laughs> you run a steady, consistent pace. Mm-hmm. And you don't stop. Right. And if it's your first time, I mean, I don't know. I don't run. 
But if it's your first time, you I'm... run. You run to the fridge to get some food. No. You run to catch Mateo before he falls. That is true. You run. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think that if it's your first time, I'm assuming, you tell me, you, you're you definitely going to pace yourself. Oh, absolutely. And, and if you have no idea what you're doing, you're going to you're gonna try to take what limited information you have, but you know, you, you know. Yeah, you and cannot I think, sprint I think the entire most, marathon. Right. I think most marathon runners don't don't decide on that day. Oh, today's a marathon. I'm gonna go join. No. Right? So they first educate themselves on what it entails. Right. Is it twenty six miles? Yes. Twenty six point something. Twenty six one, I think. Or is it thirteen one is the half mile? Maybe it's twenty six two. I don't remember. So I don't do them anymore. Yeah. So, and you, did you do a full Uh, half? We did the half. You did a half. So. But me and my dad together, we did a full. (laughs) (laughs) We did. (laughs) We had our together. So you, you go into it knowing how long you're going to have to run for, right? Right. So I think that's something that that's why we wanted to do the series is because we want people to know the journey and how long not. Yeah. I mean, how long it could potentially take to learn a second language. Um, But that way you also have an idea of what your expectations are going to be. Right. And when you hit certain milestones or where your child hits certain milestones. And I know that there are hundreds of programs out there that say learn Spanish in three days or learn Spanish in three months. You could probably do that if you dedicate your life (laughs) to learning a second language. But this podcast is for parents. And most of us don't have the time to sit down and study a language for, say, an hour or two hours a day. We just simply don't. And so we can still have the goal of learning a second language, of raising bilingual children, but we just have to know how long that it's going to take a while and make the commitment to be consistent, even if it takes years, you know, because it will. Or hours, like a marathon. Yeah, that was the longest day of my life. (laughs) Both times. Both times. (laughs) Yeah. So that's why we wanted to bring up the idea of a marathon. Sprints, on the other hand, you know, typically they're within a minute-ish, 45 seconds-ish. They're really quick, short-lived. You give everything you have right then and there mm-hmm. in that little amount of time. And set it over. That's not how language learning works. That's not how any learning works. Yeah. And especially with language learning, even if you have, quote-unquote, arrived at the finish line, you can't stop there. Yeah, you got to run to the t-shirt stand to get your free t-shirt afterwards. And then sometimes they give you Carl's Jr. Uh, burgers afterwards. You got to run to that pavilion. And then you got to run back to your car to beat traffic. And then you got to run home to shower all your... Uh, There's still running afterwards. That's not what I meant. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but you do... You have to continue using the language. You Absolutely. can't just stop there. And as a bilingual person who... A lot of people have told me that my English and my Spanish is perfect. Right. Um, or are perfect. <laughs> perfect you <speak> example. Good. <laughs> perfect example. Huh. <laughs> um, 
I'm still learning, and there and there are topics where I don't feel bilingual. Is that why you don't laugh at certain comedy movies when I'm just hysterically laughing and you're looking at me all crazy? Sure. You just don't understand. I would have to remember what the movie was too. Well, that's true too. <laughs> so anyway, this episode we want to cover part one of part four. Part one of four. Um, and that's because we're putting the last two stages of second language acquisition together in one episode. But I feel like this is the most important one and the most misunderstood one. Right. Because. And the hardest to really like measure progress if you don't know you what don't know to what measure. It is, yeah. And that is the silent period. So. So let's practice. <laughs> Good. <laughs> See, you're already learning. Sorry. It just made sense. No, I mean, second language acquisition is not that different from first language acquisition. And that's where that's where we kind of missed the mark. Because you took French in, in high school. Yes, I did. And I took French too. And from day one, it was like, repeat this phrase. Here's your vocabulary list to learn this yeah. week. And, and, and then at the end of the week, we'll have a test. Right. It, it was. Yeah. And you have knowing to, what I know now, it was. Well, the point is like from terrible. day one in terms of in terms of uh, the silent period from day one, you're expected to start producing, to start saying these phrases, repeating, repeating them over and over so that you, quote unquote, learn them. What the silent period says is that you acquire language. So your brain is actively sort of absorbing the language from around you and understanding how it works, understanding all the grammar structures and everything, just because you're listening to it over and over again. That's essentially, I mean, that is how babies learn their first language. So the silent period is technically silent. When you talk, for instance, when a baby is born, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a great example you gave me earlier. Kind of tell, tell everybody what you told me earlier about the silent period when dealing with your first child, teaching them English or whatever language right. is your first language. So if you're a parent, chances are you've had a baby, right? <laughs> we just went over that. Of course, <laughs> chances are high that you had a child. Right. So you had a baby. Did you, on day one... Say, okay, I need to start teaching this baby. This baby needs to start repeating, hello, my name is... No, of course not. And you didn't have your baby try to repeat, hello, my name is Mateo. Hello, my name is Mateo. But that's what we do in language classes, in in the typical language classes, or traditional, I guess. What do we do with babies? We talk about the things that are happening right then and there. I'm going to change your diaper. Your diaper is dirty. Let me throw it in the trash. Let's get a fresh diaper. Put one leg here, one leg there. Let's put some booty cream. <laughs> you know, cream on your booty. <laughs> Were you thinking of the rap song? Is what? that why you started what? laughing? What rap song? The old rap song we used to sing. No, I was not. not. Should I even quote it? Nope, nope, nope. So Daniela has this old song that she used to sing over and over and over again. And I believe blue truck. In my blue truck, and I think part of the lyrics is looking at your booty like it ain't no thing. (laughs) Do you want to finish the rest? Nope. Nope. (laughs) She is blushing right now. All right, so booty cream. 
<laughs> it just sounds so funny in English. Well, now I'm thinking of Tropic Thunder. <laughs> Booty sweats. <laughs> no, it sounds funny in English, but I say it to Elias all the time, like cremita para la colita. Popping anyway, a can open. Okay, okay, anyway. So, the diaper changing routine. <laughs> you talk about what's happening in that moment. I'm trying. I'm trying to keep going. <laughs> and <laughs> just stop. I think this is the hardest we've laughed on this part. Okay. <clears throat> so in whatever routine you're doing, you are talking about real meaningful things that are happening in that moment with the baby, right? The baby is simply absorbing or acquiring the language as you speak. Right, and you have no expectation you, of them exactly repeating or no. talking to you. And for one, it's because they are physically incapable of doing it. They don't right. have the muscles developed in their mouth to say any of these words, right? And we don't have that expectation. You know, we the first word when they say mama or, or dada or whatever, we're like, oh my gosh. And yeah, it took nine months for them to say that. That would never happen in a traditional language class where it takes you if you if you're in the class for two months and you don't you haven't said a single word, you're failing. Right. You know, so um, so that's why the silent period is like one of my favorites. And I really like explaining it to parents because I think that's a big one of the I mean, somebody that's learning a second language over time. I think that's important for parents to understand because I think we're naturally accustomed or taught that vocabulary and writing the word over and over and over again is how we learn a second language. Mm -hmm. I mean, we did that in middle school. We did that in high school and college. If you took college classes, mm -hmm. I mean, it is absolutely crazy. And it reminds me of the time I took a college class in Spanish and I had already known enough, I remember that. but they wouldn't let me take the next level because I didn't know enough to pass that test. So I had to take the regular class and with that came a bunch of vocabulary. They gave us sheets. They gave us things to memorize. We had to conjugate. They gave us this formula, how to conjugate verbs. And the problem with that was I wasn't in practice. And then so I came to you and we talked a little bit and we practiced and everything. And then I went back to the class and I was too advanced and she thought I was cheating. Mm -hmm. And I had to explain to her, like, my wife is from Colombia. Spanish is her first language. And I'm just practicing and learning that way. She's pretty much told me that's not what we do here. I give you the formula, you conjugate it, you write out the sentences. And I ended up, I dropped out of the class. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is not how I want to learn Spanish. Right. So again, the, the vocabulary and all that doesn't work. It didn't teach me to speak Spanish any better. In fact, I learned more by practicing with you mm -hmm. and organically bringing in all this information and producing it with you. Right. So there's definitely, you're definitely not going to gain anything by purchasing some sort of planned out curriculum, unless like you said well, earlier, that you, if you spend hours and hours a day practicing right. and even if you like having somebody there to respond. Right. Because for example, I know, I can't remember Benny Lewis, he's like a famous uh, polyglot and that's what he does for a living. Like he learns languages. So, yes, you can learn languages fast, especially when you're learning, you know, different languages one after the other. There's so many cognates from one language to another that can help you learn the language. Right. Just kind of like segue. Into right. Exactly. 
Right. So the silent period is important as we kind of wrap up. The silent period is important because for parents, we we can know we can we can know that our child is understanding even if they're not saying anything yet. We know that for their first language, but somehow we forget when they're right. learning a second <laughs> language. And especially if, if your child is older, um, like I would say after five or so, you and you say you put them in a Spanish class. The first thing you're going to say on the first day, like, what did you learn? Right. You know? <laughs> so I think that segues into a good little section we can talk about. You kind of explained what the silent period is, mm-hmm. and you kind of dabbled on it. But what does a silent period look like? So for a child, when you when you naturally hear the silent period, you automatically think they're not speaking at all. Mm-hmm. And, and now for an infant, a newborn, that's very true. But like you said, once you hit five or six, when you have this understanding of what language is and communication is, what does the silent period look like then? I mean, it's it's this, I mean. Essentially, it's the same. What do you mean? So, Um, well, the example that I wanted to give is like with me. Oh, okay. So my silent period wasn't silent, so to speak. It was, I just wasn't producing in that language. And a great example that I wanted to give is I wanted you to tell the story of you and your mother talking in Spanish. You Mm -hmm. guys talk in Spanish only whenever Mm -hmm. you were together. Right. But it got to a point where you could no longer do that. We could we couldn't talk about you in Spanish, right? <laughs> so that's what we're learning French. I'm just kidding, <laughs> but we would just normally talk about you, kind of say things that you were doing, or just talk about you behind your back in Spanish. Well, you weren't behind my back; you were right in front of me, right in front of you in Spanish. And one day, John goes, "Um, I know what you're saying," even though you could not say any of those phrases, right? You understood. And the point is, he understood everything we were saying, even though he couldn't say any of it. Right. He couldn't pinpoint. You probably couldn't pinpoint the words and say, oh, that word means this, this word means that. But because of context, even the way you were, even though you were talking about me and I couldn't produce anything, another thing that we did is you would speak to me in Spanish. My silent period was responding in English, Mm -hmm. my native language, but I wasn't speaking in Spanish. So my silent period wasn't necessarily silent. It was just silent in the Spanish In that language. So I would respond in English. You would speak to me in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And that's how I grew my understanding. Like I was able to comprehend what was being said. So I learned that I knew almost anything in Spanish. Like I just, I went to work. I could hear people speak Spanish. I would know what they're saying. I hear you and your mom talk. I know what you're saying. When you're talking on the phone, I know what you're saying. But I just could not get that information back out. I could mm-hmm. not respond. And that was my silent period. Right. And for a child, it could very five or six, it could very well be the same thing. Mm-hmm. So your main question was, what does that look like? What right. does a silent period look like? Yes. Okay. It can be, we already gave an example of what a baby's silent period looks like. They literally are not speaking anything. They're, They're not saying anything. But- when you're learning a second language, obviously you have words that you could that you could say in a in your first language, right. right? So, or you could even not like sometimes when some of my students are in the silent period, if I ask them something, they will nod yes or no before they even say the word see sí or no, right? Right. And so sometimes it's just that look of like. Uh Uh-huh, I get it, you know, nodding and yes, I understand what you're saying. 
Um, it can also mean they understand directions. So right. if you ask them, can you please go grab that pencil over there? Can you please grab the blue paint? Then, and they do it, you understand, you know that they understand. Right. And they understand those words. They grab the blue paint. So they understand paint, blue, get it. Mm -hmm. So that's one way of checking for understanding. And I'm almost hesitant to give this tip because I don't want parents to start quizzing their children. Right. Um, and we, we don't want to do that. But we always talk about observing the child, right? So you can observe your child as you're having a conversation or as you're, asking, as you're asking them to do something and catch what they are understanding without saying, what is blue in Spanish, you know, or Absolutely. pointing to the color and say, what is this? What is that? What is, can you say, can you say azul? So you can do it once every so often. What I'm saying is observe your child in regular common conversations and like I said, say you're in the middle of painting and say, oh, I need the blue paint. You know, um, where is it? Turn what you would normally quiz right. them on. Where is it? And then they grab it for you. Right. That's so, the so same shape, thing. So shape right. your quizzes into more of an actionable request, so to right. speak. And a real, like, <laughs> I'm just tired. You know, you're probably real tired. Real meaningful way. Yeah, in a real Absolutely. meaningful way. Absolutely. Because no one wants to be quizzed. Yeah. And then once you start quizzing them, it's like, uh, it turns into a good job or no, you made a mistake. Or you know? just the redundancy of the parrot complex of repeating everything. Mm -hmm. So, and then yeah. it gets boring to the child and it's no longer fun. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. Or real or meaningful. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also another tip for during this period is to narrate what you're doing. So again, going back to that baby example. When we have a baby, we narrate what we're doing. We're like, okay, I'm taking you to, we're going to the living room. Um, let's go see your brother. And that also helps reinforce it for the parent that may be learning. Right. Because you're technically saying all that practicing stuff. And you're, you're, you're practicing and it's going to reinforce that information within yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it's a lot easier to do with younger children, obviously, because you're kind of narrating what they do anyway. Or with older children, you can still do it, you know, you can still do it by talking to yourself as you're cooking, you know, like, I mean, the kids already think you're crazy anyway. So. Yeah, might as well. <laughs> might as well add that. So, um, yeah, like, okay, I, I'm cooking. I need the skillet. Where's right. the skillet? You know, I need the big skillet. Right. Stuff like that. Another thing that's important to note is not to translate. So if you're going around saying, all right, where's hey, so your that, shoe? Or, or yeah, like where's your shoe? Don't this or okay? So let's say you're trying to speak in Spanish. Donde está tu zapato? Where's your shoe? Let's put uh, ponte el zapato. Put it on, and you're translating after every sentence. Eventually, your child's gonna say, "Oh, I don't really need to hear the first part because she's gonna say it in English after." And secondly, the minute you translate, the brain just says, "Okay, I I don't really need to work." at understanding this word or filing this word in my brain. Because it's going to be given to me. Because it's, I already know what the other one, what the translation is. Right. So instead of translating, you can use gestures. You can use, you know, props. If you're, if you're using the physical thing, you can literally point to what you're Kinda talking like about. Kind of like the juice and the milk. Right. The example that I give from when my mom chose to do English, English Saturdays in Colombia. 
So do you want milk or juice for breakfast? And you're literally holding both of them in your hand. Right. So, um, and that's called comprehensible input. Which So what exactly is comprehensible input? It's making your messages understood. So it doesn't matter what language it's in, the person would understand it. What can you do to make yourself understood without, like, without the person understanding the words, every single word? If you want to see a, because it's kind of hard to explain that, but if you want to see a real example of this, head over to our YouTube channel and put what is comprehensible input, and you'll see a video where I kind of explain, or watch Dr. Krashen's famous what is comprehensible input. Absolutely. He, he is, uh, he's definitely a man of master of his craft. Right. He actually talks about Spock in that video. Oh yeah. <laughs> Basically making your messages understood. And again, I go back to the same thing. The best way to have comprehensible input or to provide comprehensible input to your child is to talk about real and, and meaningful, meaningful things. things that are happening <laughs> right now. And the younger your child is, the more concrete those messages have to be. What does that mean? If you have a two-year-old, you don't want to be talking about abstract concepts, maybe like the planets, for example. They can't really grasp that quite yet, you know? Or the size of the planets. Or the size. Yeah. But if you're talking about the orange that you have in your hand and the color that it is and how juicy it is, that's real. That's concrete. That's right in front of them. Right. So, so when we talk about marathon and the sprint, this this silent period, how long does something like this last? It can vary. It all depends on the amount of input that you have in the second language. But around six months, six months to a year, you know, like I said, it just really depends on not only how much time you have in the second language, but the quality of the interactions that you have in that language. Right, because you have kids in preschool that come and get a lot of time, mm-hmm. you know, practicing, hearing, listening to Spanish. And by the time they leave, you know, they're understanding a lot. Right. And that's something else you, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because this talks about the importance and it kind of goes off of the silent period. But when you're learning a second language, you have to keep working at it. If you stop, you know, if you if you say you become fluent and you work through this marathon that we're talking about and you just stop, you'd lose it, you know? So, is it true that if you don't use it, you lose oh it? <laughs> uh, technically. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, another movie quote. So... <laughs> Yes and no. I mean, I I do think that it's still stored in your brain, but what? <laughs> that was a good quote. Yes. Okay. Um, technically, yes. You you start to lose it. You do. <laughs> uh, oh gosh, are we gonna get through this? Sorry, I'm this a child. Episode? Um. So yeah, you you can start not completely. I think it's still there. Right. But you would have to work at it again to bring that language back up. Right. So you'd have to stimulate. The we mind. see this all the time in in bilingual family in our preschool class because in our preschool class is where children spend the most time at bilingual family. You know, the most time in Spanish. 
when they're done with preschool, most of them are understanding lots and speaking and they're just, they're doing awesome, right? Right. And then they go into full day pre-K or full day kindergarten. Where they spend most of their time around English speakers. All, all their time. They go from, and also they go in bilingual family from spending, say, 15 hours a week in Spanish to four hours a week. And we're competing with... That's Iris. Jesus. <laughs> and we're competing with all day in Spanish, TV, or I'm sorry, English, all day in English, TV in English, friends in English, after school, sports, and all that in English against four hours of Spanish. A week. A week. We have to keep the Spanish up, I'll try to match, you know, the input that you have in Spanish right. with English. So. Absolutely. Again, I think that falls under the marathon when we're the metaphor of marathon being consistent in your pace. Just because you say you pull your kids out of a Spanish program, you as a parent, you can't stop. You know, you got to keep it going. Mm -hmm. And and the whole point of bilingualism, you know, we've talked about this in the past is bridging the communication gap between different cultures, bringing people closer together, understanding each other, bigger empathy, bigger communication, bigger relationships. I mean, that's, that's the beauty behind all this and to just stop and not continue, you know, it, you're, you're only hurting your ability to communicate with the world. Mm -hmm. And I really think that understanding how language learning truly works helps take away a lot of that intimidation factor mm -hmm. of learning a second language, especially as an adult, you know, as an adult, you know, you hear the old, the saying, you know, old dog can't learn new tricks. You, you, you. There's not enough time in the day. I'm working all the time. I got to take care of my kids. Well, you can combat a lot of that by learning with your child. Mm -hmm. You're still cre keeping up your relationship. You're, you can easily make it fun. You're building your relationship with them while building a relationship with language, which, you know, consequently you'll build a relationship with other people in this world. Mm -hmm. The silent period, I think if you understand that, it makes it less intimidating because you're you're going to see progress differently as opposed to before. If you didn't know what the silent period was, maybe you were you would think that I'm not seeing any progress. Any progress. Well, and you brought up something really important about relationships with your child. Something that I want to talk about in the silent period, and I think this is where a lot of parents lose children, even native speakers, where they lose the child's interest in learning a second language, is in the silent period, because they start forcing production. So say... Like before they're ready. Before they're ready. So they don't allow the child to absorb the language. They immediately start like, okay, how do you say this? How do you say that? The whole quizzing thing I was telling you about. How do you say this? How do you say that? Or repeat this. Or if you, if I ask you, for example, what do you want for breakfast? ¿Qué quieres desayunar? And you answer to me in English and I say no. And then I make you repeat it in Spanish. That already puts up the effective filter, which we talked about in another episode. Which episode was that? One of them. I think it was uh, learning with your child. Yeah, it just puts your guard up. You know, you don't feel like you're ready yet to, to use the language. Try not to during this period. Try not to force production. Right. Let let the silent period be. Right. And when they're ready, you'll be surprised. Mm -hmm. And and that to me is one of the best things you get to see. Yeah, it's really cool. I think that's everything that we that we need to cover in the silent period. 
Absolutely. And it, and if you gained any questions through some of the things that we explained, you know, we say this in every episode, don't hesitate to contact us. We get people contacting us all the time with different questions, how to approach things. So we're, we're open to answering any and all questions. If you have a math question, I might be able to help you, but we're specific to bilingualism and parenting. I also want to congratulate one of my buddies. Uh, he's about to be a first time dad. So happy dad day. <laughs> what what would you say? Yeah. Happy happy Congratulations on becoming a father. There we go. <laughs> but no, he's uh he's about to start taking his journey and he's asking uh he's already asked me quite a few things, so I'll look forward to answering those questions and anything that sounds pretty cool. Uh, we might try to answer those questions here. But this is part one of four of the series. We're gonna cover um, do you want to list those off real quick? Yeah. So if anybody wants to get a jump start on reading ahead, if you're reading Becoming a Bilingual Family, Danielle's book, you can read ahead or you can kind of look some of this information up and be ready for the next episode. Okay, so we're going to be covering the stages of second language acquisition based on Krashen's theories. Uh, so pre-production is the silent period. That's what we've been talking about. Then there's early early production, speech emergence, and we're going to combine intermediate fluency and advanced fluency in one episode. All so, right. You have a lot to look forward to. A lot to look forward to and hopefully more bad jokes. No, hopefully not. <laughs> so uh, we will uh, go ahead and end on a dad joke. What do you get when you cross a centipede with a parrot? I don't know. A walkie-talkie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know what we forgot was that the parenting moment oh the parenting we can do that right now so we apologize it's at the end okay so top parenting moment okay you want to do this one yes because you've been rocking it out yeah uh so mateo who is two months old two months old (laughs) he's two months old after two years (laughs) he's two years and two months he's two years old no, because that's very different. A two-year-old that just turned two compared to a two-year-old that's about to turn three. Dads, a, you'll agree with me. No, there is a big difference. And you've even said, you've even been like, he has 18 months. He's this many months. Yeah. No, I said he's two. No. He's anyway, seven in a two-year-old's body. Anyway, we waited way too long to take his pacifier, in my opinion. John disagrees. But. He, I disagree because of what I've seen. We started this week, this Friday. We started when we didn't start it. We got rid of it. Yeah, we ripped the bandaid. And it's been very interesting. Actually, I'm I I feel really good about it. I think we've only had one real bad night, which was the first night, right? So, in a nutshell, I'll just run through it very quickly. And if you guys want to hear like a whole, maybe not episode, but I'm thinking about doing an is like an IGTV. Instagram, Instagram video thing. If you, if you want me to do one of those all about how we got rid of it, let me know. But we planned a party, a going away party for the Chupito. And Mateo was part of the whole thing, the planning. We just sat down and asked, Hey, we should have a party because my hairs and his hairs were getting in the Chupito. This has been happening for a while because he's a toddler and he walks around his room and I have a lot of hair and he has a lot of hair and we have dogs. And he'd be like, pelo. And so one day I was like, you know, babies don't have this issue because they don't walk around 
And so they don't get hair in their chupito. Maybe it's time to get rid of it. It's nasty. And he he agreed to it for that moment. And so I just ran with that, with that idea. And then I told him we we're going to have a um, going away party and send it off to a new baby that we're having in the family in Florida. Basically, he planned. we planned the party together. We wrote down what kind of things we wanted to eat. He said, papas fritas, french fries, and chocolate cupcakes. And then I said, well, what else is fun to do at a party? And he said, the library. <laughs> Balloons. Balloons, yes. And so we kind of, we planned all that out. And Friday was a big day. And we had our party. And we uh, put the chupito, the pacifier, in a container. And... We shipped it to another we baby. We shipped it to another baby and we wrote letters to the Chupito, like farewell letters, and we each one each each of us wrote one. And that was that. And you and Mateo went and put it in the mailbox mm-hmm. and it was gone. Yep. One bad night. And the best thing about this was it was his decision. Yeah. So whenever he asked for his and Chupito. Every day. So we on the we planned for the party on Monday or last Sunday, maybe. And we wrote down all the days of the weekend. We would cross out each day as it as it was getting closer. So he anticipated. Yeah. And we saw that. We saw him like getting very attached to it and like almost asking for a nap. He never asked for a nap. Yeah. The last two days before the day, he he's like, let me go to sleep. Let me go to sleep. Because he wanted to lay down with this Chapito mm-hmm. like one more time. Yeah. But the best We were thing- afraid. We're <laughs> like, oh gosh, what is going to happen? But But when he asked about it, you explained the story to him of what they, what you two did. Mm-hmm. And we, you reiterated that it was his choice to get mm-hmm. rid of it, to mm-hmm. send it off to another child who needed it. Mm-hmm. And he was okay with that because it was his choice. Yeah. And he knows that it's his choice. Right. It's not like we took it away. He was, yeah. he made the decision to get rid of it. And I've, I've heard about the, the Chupito fairy or like the pacifier fairy bringing gifts in exchange for the Chupito. But my thing is, like, where does that end? Are you going to always have to... Sometimes you give, like, in this case, Mateo is giving... Well, he's not technically, but... Yeah, we didn't really give it to somebody. But he's... In his mind. In his mind, he is finished using something, and he's giving it to someone else without expecting anything in return. You know? Now you're just getting deep. I mean... (laughs) But so. no, essentially, that's what it was. He was under the impression he's giving it to another child that needed it a chupito. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't getting anything back. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we did have a party about it, but. But the but the truth is, it was his decision. So mm-hmm. he has to, that's the consequence of giving it away. You no longer have it. Yeah. And so he it's can't like he, he, he can't be mad at you. He can't be mad at me. He can't be mad at Edie's or Helen. Yeah. I mean, he's the one that made the decision to give it away and it's been awesome. So, uh, the night before he was, you know, he, he was up longer than he should oh, yeah, have been. And we, he, we saw him on the monitor giving the chupito to his baby. Oh yeah. I sharing about it that. with the baby. Yeah, but like funny. last night he didn't really ask for it. I think he did like once or twice. This is the third night. But tonight. this is the third night and he didn't ask for Nothing. it at all. Yeah. So I think we kind of scare ourselves as parents. About what's going to happen. Yeah, the first night I was like, what did we do? This is the worst. And we and I, we planned for it. We're like, okay, tonight's going to be the hardest night. We know it's going to be the hardest and night. And the reason why we started on Friday was because it was your days off. Right. So we planned around. Both of our knowing schedules. Knowing that it was going to be 
hard. Right. So I think that's important. So, so virtual high five to everybody. Thank yay. you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all I got. Mm-hmm. Any other questions, comments, concerns, general consensus about the world or the universe around us? No. <laughs> Adios. Annyeong gaseo. Thank you, Heather. Thank you for being with us. For more on raising bilingual children, you can purchase my book, Become a Bilingual Family, The Best Method for Raising Bilingual Children, Even If You Only Speak One Language, on Amazon. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bilingual Family. If you like this episode, share it with your friends. And as always, the best compliment is a review. Con amor, John and Daniela. <laughs>